welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, TC. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to our episode on Sphere, our uh, summer psychological techno-thriller hit. Wow, that was a hell of a lot of adjectives, CC. I know. <laughs> you really just, uh, you really just bundled those out there. <laughs> it was very descriptive. I'm just trying to draw a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Paint me a word picture. Peter, this question is, um, extremely unnecessary, but how'd you like the book this month? I hated it. Oh no! Never again. <laughs> My shock and astonishment. Gasp! It's unbearable. No, I enjoyed it, as every other time I've read Sphere. How many times have you read it? Um, at least three times. Perhaps as many as five. <laughs> Somewhere between three and five, we think. Scientists still aren't positive about the answer. Listen, medical science has not progressed far enough to really know. You know? Yes, well, if there's one thing Sphere taught us, it's about embracing the unknown, so... Here we go. True, true, true. <laughs> um, but I, I too love this book. I am not a big book fan of like spooky books, and I think that this is spookier than any of other any of Michael Crichton's other books, especially at least the ones we've covered. Because I mean, they've all been thrilling and tense and suspenseful, but Sphere, I don't know, it just gets under my skin. It, like spooks me out even when i sort of know what's happening because i've read it before this was only my second time but you know you, you get the idea <laughs> yeah and it's like i think the reason why it's so much scarier is the idea of not being able to trust your own brain which is that, really what this is about and it's a real fear for people yeah no i totally agree that's definitely one of the creepiest things i also think the setting is extremely unsettling just even the idea of the the pressurized chamber i mean <laughs> this is embarrassing to admit but before i read this the first time a couple years ago i did not know about this i did not know that this is how you did like deep sea habitats oh yeah and that it was like an established science i'm like wow this is some weird like theoretical stuff and then i was like oh <laughs> people do this people this have been doing this absolutely how they do that yeah <laughs> this is not new <laughs> which is crazy but there, there's just the innate discomfort from the claustrophobia of the setting. And I mean, it's nice that they try to make the various cylinders, you know, cozy and, and, and homey. But I mean, even Norman is like, they're not really fooling anyone. Like, it's a good effort, but it's not, it doesn't make you forget where you are. And that, you know, a very small amount of metal is between you and the freezing Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the end of the day, you can't just take a step outside if you need a breath. Yes, definitely. So it's, um, it's not, you know, it wouldn't be a soothing environment to work in, of course. Yeah, definitely not. By the way, I don't know. I mean, I guess the idea is that the pressure is equivalent to the outside pressure, right? I don't think it's equivalent. I think it's... Well, it must be, actually, for them to have, like, that open room. Well, and they had that... Oh, you mean the, um... Like, the... The, the airlock? Well, it wasn't even really an airlock. No, it was, like, a room that the water came up into. Yeah, well, you just opened the hatch and jumped in and then closed the hatch. Yeah, and, like, it wasn't an airlock. It was just the hatch was there to prevent things from getting in, basically. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> no no squid arms oh no squid arms oh no squid arm did come in yeah 
it did <laughs> did come in. That was not a very good preventative tactic. Maybe an airlock would have helped. I don't know. I'm not an ocean scientist. But an oceanographer? <laughs> P.S. Yes. Peter, uh, do you, you have some experience with the ocean. What do you think the pressure is at a thousand feet? Um, a thousand feet. I'm going a hundred ATM. Wow. You way overshot it. <laughs> well. No, I don't feel like this number is as impressive. It's about 30. 30 atmospheres. So 30 times sea level pressure. I still think that's crazy. I mean, that's still a lot for sure. Yeah. That's a that's lot. That's like a lot. Yes. But also a thousand feet down doesn't really feel like that much. Like, maybe I realize not. it's a lot, but it doesn't seem like a lot, you know? Well, maybe that's what's so mind-blowing about it. I mean, it's like half a mile. You could stand on a street corner if the street's straight enough and see what's a half mile away. But but the idea that there's 30 times the amount of pressure just because of water mm-hmm. all around you. I mean, it's just... Mm, it's so It's so claustrophobic. I don't want to be a broken record. We can move on now. But, like, just that feeling... Of the water pressing down. I don't know. It gets to me. It freaks me out. Yeah. I could never work in a submarine. Um, I mean, I don't think I would like it. Although, the benefit of working in a submarine is you die very fast. That's true. Hey, question. Are yeah. submarines pressurized? They can't be, right? Because they, like, constantly move levels. Well, wait. What kind of submarine do you mean? Do you mean, like, a military submarine or, like, a something along that grade? Yeah, I'm not no. talking about, like, research submersibles. I'm talking about, like, submarines that have long-term habitat, uh, hab- habitation. But you mean, like, essentially, you mean, like, a, like, a military submarine. Yeah. Yeah, those are not... One that focuses on mobility. Um, those do, I think, have a, like, a chain... Like, I think they control the atmosphere and make it, like, basically nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide. Mm. Um, like, I think they don't have... Tra- when they're producing the atmosphere, they don't have any traces in it. But, mm. yeah, um, those aren't pressurized. They're just really strong. That's how they rely on their ability to withstand depths. I guess that makes sense. But I suppose the problem with um, deep sea research is that you then have to like go out into the depths in a diver suit. And then you're going to be crushed if you're not already pressurized. Yeah. Right? Which is why like the person who took them down in the submarine could go right back up and it wasn't a problem. But like they had to stay and get pressurized. Makes sense. Wait, do you mean in the beginning or in the end? In the beginning, when the um, when the guy like ferried them down, and then he bounced. Oh yeah, because the first thing they did was change the atmosphere in the in the um. I guess it was like some sort of docking airlock. Yeah, they do. They definitely did have an airlock at the at the cylinders, but they just didn't have it um. To get to the water. To get into the ocean, yeah. Um, but yeah, they changed, because remember, they changed the atmosphere, and like everyone was freezing cold, and they're like, yeah, that's the intensive helium. Yeah. I'm wondering, hmm, does, do, like, those talkers actually exist, you think? I actually don't know. I could try to look into it, but I don't really know what to Google. Um, me neither. We can just ignore it. <laughs> we will never know. Uh, let us know if you guys know. But, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Peter. Yes? You know what the feeling reminded me of 
of their situation. What? Do you ever go to a party with somebody but they drove? <laughs> you want to leave, but you can't leave because they drove, and you don't have a way to get home. <laughs> and so you're you're stuck there for like the right amount of time for, until they're ready. Yeah. And you're not totally sure how long it's going to be, and sometimes you send a weather balloon, <laughs> and <laughs> and they shoot and they it down. They snap the string, and you're like, "Damn it, not yet." Not yet, huh? Okay. But then when you get in the car, it's going to be another hour and a half to get home while you depressurize from the party. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the whole thing reminded me of. That feeling. Just a more intense version of that feeling. That's a really good point. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Oh, lordy. Uh, That's a good point, Cece. So, Cece, what do you think about the uh, storyline as a whole? Like, what, like high level thoughts of the storyline? Uh, like general impressions. Um. Or? Yeah, sure. I'm just thinking about like the like the theme of like this specific take on meeting an an unknown intelligence. Yes, I think it's a very well in the classic Michael Crichton way. It's a very realistic uh, portrayal of first contact because. It's a theme that they keep coming back to within the book. The idea that we always imagine aliens to be realistically not that different from us. You know, they they could, you know, want to eat you or be, you know, bug-like. But we always assume that they'll sort of think in the same way as us. And Norman points it out pretty early on. He's like, I think I think it's what they call the congruity principle, right? Isn't that what it is? Um, or is that about I the believe, technology? I believe that's right. Um, well, either way. Know, for people that host a sci-fi podcast, we really should know about this. <laughs> yeah, I finished that book yesterday, guys, so I've already forgotten all of that. Um, I mean, I finished <laughs> it, like, over a week ago, so... This is true. So when you ask me what my thoughts are about the general plot line, you're just hoping I'll remind you what it was about. <laughs> no, you're actually playing right into my, my conversational trap. Oh no! <laughs> Aha, where I spring a Michael Crichton quote on you. Gotcha. Well, my point is that I think it's very. It, it's that's that's what's so unsettling about the possibility of alien life is that they could just be completely and innately foreign to you, and in fact, are far more likely to be incomprehensible than comprehensible. That's true. Um, anything that develops in a foreign. Space because we don't know that you know whatever we come across because if we come across a life form that evolved in a you know nitrogen oxygen atmosphere on a similar ish planet, um, then yeah, we'll probably be somewhat similar to them, right? But if we come, but not ac- necessarily. I mean, you're right. Bi- biologically, at least. Yeah, I think we'll have much more similarities than we will have to a life form that evolved in something some sort of other space like what if we found a life form that evolved as a you know a a basically an airborne life form in a the upper reaches of a gas giant or something like there are very very different other ways that theoretically life could evolve Mm -hmm. and i don't think you know making this generalization that yeah, it's going to be like us is in any way true because for all we know, the first time we find extraterrestrial life, it could be from something totally different. Maybe it evolved in vacuum. 
Like, I don't know. Um, yeah, totally. It's that idea that, and the universe is so vast, it's the idea that it, it, the, um, oh, what's that quote now? It's uh, infinite, ah, oh, crap. Infinite something. what you're going for, I'd help you. It's like something, infinite blend, something leads to infinite variety. Ah, okay. Like infinite possibilities. Yeah, like, yeah, I- I- infinite possible, uh, Places for things to have evolved leads to an infinite type of things that could evolve. Yeah. Is essentially the idea. No, but, I follow that. So, CC, actually, on this topic and that conversational trap I may have mentioned, you have triggered my trap card. And an amazing podcast host. Fell right into his hands. So, Michael Crichton actually began this book in as a companion piece to guess which novel it was. I already know the answer. You know the answer. Yeah. Okay, well. That's... The Andromeda Strain. Yes. Yes. So... To be fair, it's kind of obvious because it's the only other book that I know of anyway that deals with aliens. Let me see. I don't right. think any of his other books deal with aliens. Um, no, they don't. You're right. Um, that so makes sense. Crichton was writing it, and he there. I have a, a, a quote here, a record of a conversation he had with um, a writer, or a, a reporter. And it's basically that he didn't know where to good go with the book, um, but he had a, a <laughs> real, con- not like in *Drama Stream* where we just found this unintelligent, you know, thing, and then like this unintelligent um, disease, and it just did what a disease does. Yeah, it just propagated. It, yeah, it just propagated, and then that happened to affect some humans in a bad way, and then everything was fine after that in a weird. I don't. I don't like that storyline. I don't like that ending. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it was very unsatisfying. Crichton but it was has his first novel, so it's fine. That's fair. Uh, but Crichton has a quote here that he said: "The idea of doing a story about contact with superior intelligence, a time-honored theme, is that it's very hard if you stop and think about it. Most writers evade the issue by making the aliens recognizably human. It's nine feet tall with spiky teeth and it wants to eat you, or it's three feet tall and it wants to hug you. In either case, it's human-like." What's more likely about first contact with an extraterrestrial is that the alien wouldn't like human-like at all. You might not even be able to see or detect it, and its behavior would be absolutely inexplicable. Trouble is, it gets hard to dream up a story where at the center there is something inexplicable. And I think that end piece there is very well captured by this book, because Crichton was able to dream up something that was inexplicable. The sphere is unexplained. And, and well, we have a good explanation of the ship, and actually, um, I sort of. Well, we have a good-ish explanation. Yeah. And that principle about black holes is actually something that has been theorized by many people, and I actually discussed it in that episode of the Universe and You, which is now at this point a miniseries <laughs> um, on black holes, where black holes with a, I believe, it's non-rotational and sy- symmetrical scientists believe could have the potential to be used for either faster than light travel or universe hopping that's awesome just mm-hmm. because of the way that they tear space time yeah exactly I, awesome. yeah i believe it's non-rotational and, and um symmetrical anyway the the details are lost to bef- older peter and honestly every once in a while i do go back and listen to that episode because it's like oh yeah i forgot all that <laughs> stuff about black holes that's the most i've ever known about black holes yeah i, I peaked there but so it, it is something that is you know has been theorized and exists. So that wasn't totally ridiculous. All right, cool. You made a space trip that was meant to or a spaceship that was meant to travel through black holes. 
Um, yeah. That was explicable. Yeah. But they found this sphere. And we don't know, like, who created it. We have an idea of why they created it. Um, but it really is a, a, a weird thing. Anyway, that's that. That was my deep, my deep insight into that. No, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it is it is a clever juxtaposition, the idea of, like, in a way, the humans of the future are kind of the quote-unquote human-like aliens that he's talking about, that people always assume. So he kind of, he's he, he puts that next to the completely incomprehensible alien, the true mm-hmm. alien. And that's even how the characters in the book saw that sphere and immediately identified it as alien. They're like, there's just something about it. It wasn't made by humans. Yeah, well, honestly, it's... sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, as an aside, that the fact that they placed the ship in 2043, which I thought was not well supported because they had that one date, but it only said slash four three, so it could have been 2143 or any other century. It's fine, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess we're supposed to believe that it was in 43, which puts it I don't know, 60 some years after this book, if that, 50, 60 years. Um, and so, like, that sort of makes it more easy to under, like, more easy to point out that that sphere was clearly alien because humanity was not that unrecognizable. I mean, they had Coke cans, for God's sake. Yeah, it was, humans were still essentially human. Yeah, 2043 is not far from now. It's not long enough for there to be some sort of deep biological or psychological shift in a species. Right, where they could design something that looked so unrecognizable. And then that, beside the clearly human aesthetic and the still readable English and all of that. Yeah. One of the things I thought I was thinking about with the the sphere was, um, I kind of want to talk about that more now. Um, But I'm wondering if part of the reason why, because this is not an uncommon theme in sci-fi, right? Like, oh, this just looked alien and like... Everyone's yeah. like, oh shit, it's alien. Look how um, alien it is. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. <laughs> but you know how there's these principle uh, in art and in music and in math that all these things tend to c- follow a couple different common patterns. Like sure. whether it's Fibonacci, whether it's any number of other, like this, the, the a perfect spiral, um, the golden ratio, yeah. a lot of these things. Pleasant ratios. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these things Symmetry. to human eyes appear pleasant. And mm-hmm. I think at this or like we are really big fans of right angles in our construction. Like True. Our, our our all of our things are our like our houses are our right angles because that's a strong practical way to build it and that's how we learned how to build things well and strongly. True. So I think that this idea of things just looking alien and it's like an intuitive level, I think could be explained by them having patterns and designs that to an alien species that ha- maybe had, maybe uses a different base number for their math. Maybe they have an eight base mathematics. Oh God. I hate that idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think it's interesting that the theory is that we have 10 base mathematics because we have 10 fingers. I think that makes perfect sense. I honestly do. And I think it's absolutely correct. Um, uh, what other thing do we have to base it on? Well, my first our toes. Um, my first exposure to this kind of principle is that I was re- I, there's this book series that I love. I don't think we'll ever do it for this because it's not our usual kind of sci-fi. Maybe we'll get desperate. Um, <laughs> we'll run out of all the other sci-fi books in the universe. All that we know of. Um, 
but there's like this this um, basically octopod esque species, and their math is base eight because that's how they, like that's how many tentacles they have. I mean that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, Peter, one day I want to sit down with you and uh, talk about why you're so ashamed of this sci-fi series. Have I brought it up before? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not that I'm ashamed of it. it I mean, it's, I it's think the, it's this one. It's How the, many hidden sci-fi series do you have? There's a few that are just crap, but I enjoy them because either I like the universe or I like the storyline. Uh, <laughs> but the one I'm specifically talking about, I thoroughly enjoyed, and it's called uh, The Terran Privateer. But it's okay. one of those-esque sci-fis. Um, those? Like, they cost, like, $2 on, on Kindle. It's like, like pulp those, sci-fi. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... I think that might be why this sphere looks alien, because it's just based off of different design principles. That makes a lot of sense, Peter. Thank you, Cece. Bravo. Well done, sir. <laughs> the first intelligent insight we've had on this show. <laughs> it only took us a year and a half. <laughs> year and a half so, seems unfair. I mean, year it's true, in, I guess it is the sixth month of the year, huh? Yep. <laughs> I've lost all track of time. So, I know. I, I've completely become unmoored from time. I know. I don't know why it's happening to me. At least it yeah, makes I don't sense have a job. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a job or school right now. You are on board from time. Yeah, I'm gonna like. It's gonna become the 16th, and I'm gonna be like, oh shit, I have work tomorrow. I gotta oh. go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, please, New Jersey. Wait, you're starting in New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, not that everyone cares about this, oh, but you know, they're no, putting sorry. me. Sorry, they're putting me up at a hotel for a couple days just so I can go to training at the headquarters. For training. Okay, cut, and then cut I go this to out later. No. <laughs> What's up, gang? But now they'll be able to deduce where you work because you're going to training in New Jersey and working. <laughs> don't know what state I am in. <laughs> what? Only one company could have their headquarters in New Jersey and an office in Pittsburgh. <laughs> anyway. Oh god. Um, but yeah. So. So let me ask you a question about the sphere. Go. Do you think the sphere is a gift to a lower intelligence, or do you think the sphere is a singularity? What do you mean by a singularity? Like, uh, it's something that to test and potentially yes. destroy a lot Yeah, a cultural singularity. So, so the idea kind of that they brought up in the book that it's a test? Yes. I think there's some, an argument you made that it's a, a gift. I respect that argument. I tend to let unresolved things remain unresolved. I'm just sort of like, well, we'll never know. I think it's because I'm... <laughs> Not very scientific <laughs> of you. Well, no, it is very scientific of me in this case, because I'm very devoted to the truth, and if the truth is inaccessible, then I'm like, what's the point of speculating? I guess that's fair. I can't test and figure out the answer to the sphere You can write Sphere 2. I could And they all get around, and they hit it with hammers. My fanfiction Sphere 2. <laughs> Your fanfiction Sphere 2. Oh, don't you mean I could publish my already written fanfiction Sphere 2? <laughs> I will, I will admit that it's not very imaginative of me, but I would still say it's scientific. It's, I would argue, more scientific than the first one. <laughs> no, but I, um, yeah, so I, that's, I, I named like my fanfiction Oval so that they wouldn't get, me, they wouldn't get <laughs> me for copyright violation. Take that, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because our budget does not extend to lawyers. No. Dad. Got a couple friends in law school. Maybe they can help us out. No, I'm not bothering Dad with this. Are you kidding? 
dad barely is allowed to know we have a podcast. <laughs> he really only found out by accident. So, <laughs> the point is, I very much like the idea of it as a gift, though, because you're probably right. Like, it's the idea that, I mean, gives you basically limitless power. It actually, Well, it actually unlocks limitless power in you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it could very much be a, a gift, but I, I don't think that it has to be one or the other. Because if you can make an argument for both... Either it's a gift or it kills you. Well, yeah. It's like, hey, if you are fundamentally, like, good and in control and can can manage your shit, then here. Here's this. Here's this real cool gift. Here's this real cool gift. You are going to be able to make leaps and bounds in your civilization and things are going to be great. But... If you are not able to manage your shit, and if you are hateful and power-thirsty and unwise fundamentally, then you'll destroy yourselves, and, you know, that's fine. I don't, I don't think it's very good of a civilization to, like, force a singularity, which doesn't mean that it's not true. I mean, we cover this in the singularity trap, right? It wasn't the idea of that that there was a like league of societies that would test you and if you weren't worthy then it would just destroy you but if you were worthy then you know you could hang yeah that's essentially the idea yeah that kind of sucks oh shit that might be my next book to listen to again (laughs) i've been crushing books i already read our next book again good lord I better read it fast then so we can record before so you forget. forget everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you're right. It could be both. And I I would like to think of it as a gift because also like you give them this thing that essentially lets them come find you. Right? Like That's true. It's out like there in the universe. Yeah, out there in the universe there is a species there's this intelligence that's sending seeding the galaxy with these, let's say. And if you want someone to come be able to come find you including like blueprints is not going to help it because what if they can't interact with it but if you give them the ability to make their desires reality then you know they they are more likely to be able to come find you with whatever they have that's true and you could also point out that if you the only way to open the sphere is if you like have some degree of mental control Yes. You have to be able to, you have to be at least of the intellectual level to create reality in your mind that's strong mm-hmm. at, in order to open it. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a cruel thing, but I guess it also depends on, again, the nature of the alien society. Like, are they unsentimental or are they fundamentally good in so, like so so fundamentally good that they're unable to conceive of misuse of this gift mm. and that doesn't seem practical to me either because i feel like no society reaches that point without reaching their own i mean their own singularity right like their their own moment where they stand out in the precipice of destruction and say like are we going to, to kill ourselves or are we going to move onward together What's like your you, point of reference for that, Peter? My point of reference is that we're quickly Humans. approaching it. Humans. I mean, you're right, but also Have I can't... Have you learned nothing, slap? Evo- it's a tenet of evolution, though. The tenet of evolution is at its core comp- competition, right? And 
what evolution, as far as we can tell, is going to be the universal... Like, nothing's going to be like, alright, it's intelligent now, and it's done. <laughs> We're done killing our... Uh, our weak. Yeah, I mean, that's that's evolution is at its core, and as far as we can tell, it's the only way for life to come about. You know, God or we no God. We haven't conceived of anything more. You're right. But I think uh, there's got to be a point where there are limits placed on by the universe. Like, speed limit of the universe is light. Like, that's it. Unless you change the laws, and that's where you get into, like, warp drives and being able to compress and extend t- uh, space, that's it. Right. Like, you're not going faster than the speed of light. So, kind of my, my thought there is that, well, there's got to be some universal truths. And I think one of them is evolution's how things work. And evolution mm-hmm. works based on competition. So I think any species that evolves is eventually going to have is going to be fighting itself because that's how we are born. Like an underlying thing is competition with each other. There are people that are less competitive and more competitive, but that's not like the people that actually develop to force change in society are very competitive people. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. Well, <laughs> what? What does that it's mean? It's not good, but it's not bad. Listen, your no, argument, it's... it could be worse. <laughs> it could, it could shore it up a little bit, but uh, who's got I mean, sure, there are some, yeah, like, sure, it has got holes like Swiss cheese, but Swiss cheese is still good. That's, or, or at least not bad. Or at least not bad. <laughs> no, I, I was mostly referring to uh, something you said very early in that in that whole spiel, which is um, the idea <laughs> of some things are, are universal and uh, believing that evolution is one of them. And I think as far as choices for things that you believe are universal go, that's not a bad one. Oh, okay. <laughs> or at least very widespread. I mean, evolution might not be the only way for life to arise, intelligent life, but... It, I am I am certain that if we are not alone in this universe, then evolution, natural selection, as we have experienced it, exists elsewhere as well. Hey, Cece. Yeah. Let me ask you a question that's almost only tangentially related to this book. <laughs> By all means. What else do we do here? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, do you prefer the latecomer or early arrival philosophies? What, that were too early... To have uh, companions yeah, like, in the universe, or like, that we're too late to have companions in the universe. Yeah, either we are the first among many, like we evolved. I mean, because in the grand scheme of things, we have evolved relatively early. Um, How? I mean, by what? By what scale? I just mean like in, in as far as galactic timekeeping is concerned, we evolved quickly. <laughs> like the the total lifetime of the universe before the heat death of the universe, we evolved very fast. Like, the universe is 60% Okay, so on, dead. on the scale by which we measure, like, on the expected lifespan of the universe, like, if the universe will live to be 100 years old, what age is it now? Like, one. Cool. I mean, I'm so, not sure that's exactly right. We also don't know when <laughs> please, the heat death is. Please don't quote me on that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but in, in 99 years, people are going to be like, all right, doomsday cult. <laughs> Let's go. But... Yeah, like we are, we are. I, as far as I know, relatively early on in in the universe. I would be more inclined to believe the early arrival theory, because we're looking pretty hard, 
And I, I find it hard to imagine that we wouldn't have found some evidence of societies that had lived and died. That's a good we point. Were, if we were after them. Because their signals are moving at light speed. So they could have died off three million years ago. Right. And we would get beginning their signals still. Yeah, or see many you know, their remnants around the stars we're observing. That sort of thing. We, I think we would see the evidence. It, now, it's possible that there is evidence that we are not recognizing as such. Or it's too small for us to see. Because, I mean, like we yes. are identifying planets by little blips on the star. And so it's like, very, very possible that societies that never left their planet of origin have lived and died and never really crossed the Industrial Revolution. That's true. Or they nuked themselves would, to smithereens. We, we will probably never know about societies that did not live past the Industrial Revolution. Maybe one or two, but we will not discover all of them. If oh, of life course. in the no, universe as a, is as abundant as we hope it is. Yeah. There's that whole idea that, like, Either we're alone in the universe or we're not, and both are terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like, it really is true. And, you know, we can only hope that our interaction with life out other than ours will be something as, let's be honest, pretty mundane and, like, not harmful as this experience. Well, right? let me like, ask you this. What is your favorite portrayal of alienness? That we've covered so far on the podcast. That we've covered so far. Yes. Hmm. Both in terms of, like, enjoyment and in terms of the likelihood. Or, like, intellectual agreement. Um... That's really hard to answer. Well, you can answer one or the other if you don't have an answer for both. Oh, especially because we haven't done that many ones that actually involved alien life. I don't know that that's true. See, let's go down. Okay, let's go down. Andrew's Game, no alien life. The Martian, no alien life. Jurassic Park, no alien life. Um, Annihilation had argue, probably alien life. Yeah. Um... Seemingly. The Babaverse, yes. Children of Time, no. Rendezvous no, with Rayma, yes. Technically. Red Rising, no. Leviathan Wakes, yes. John Mustrain, yes. Singularity Trap, yes. Space Odyssey, no. Dune, no? Are you literally looking at the list? Yeah. The Sandworms, I guess, are alien life, but I'm thinking alien intelligent. Intelligent alien life, alien life yeah. All alien right, intelligence. So, so in John Strain, then no. Dune, no. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, no. The Foundation, any of the Foundations, no. Collapsing Empire, no. Like, most of these are no's. That's true. Um, oh, man, we gotta get more alien stuff. Yeah, we really don't have that much alien stuff in here. Well, so, I, I think I have an answer to my question. I think I would say uh, <laughs> it might be a long way to a small angry planet. I was gonna say that too. Damn it to hell! I I really fair, enjoy that one. To be fair, it's the only example. We're well, one of the only examples. No, it's like the only example of like we get like a real viewpoint from the aliens that we've done. I guess I guess Singularity Trap is an exception. 
but yeah. we didn't really. But like we got a POV account from the Teremi. Yes, that's true. That's a very good point. But I, I really just mean that universe in general. I love the it's universe. Got, it's got some very cozy aliens. Like it's got some chill ass aliens. It's got some real chill aliens, and it's it's like. It is 100% aliens as a reflection of us. I mean, even the Taremi, which were supposed to be incomprehensible. Yeah, there were some things where you're like, that's weird that you think that way. But like, <laughs> but like, not more than a person with severe mental illness on Earth. Okay, that's a fair point. No, so, so, I mean, but I just enjoyed it, man. Like, because there were differences for sure. And there was also, you know, negatives. Like, the Hermagians are kind of racist. Like, That's hilarious. the Elwans are very warlike. Like, there, there's not... And also racist. Kind of racist, but also kind of chill. They're, the Elwans just kind of manifest destiny. They're like, we give you our charity, but do not come near us. That's fair. I think no, the Elwans... They're not even opposed to interacting. They just don't want to mate with you. That's true. Because they have very, like, restrictive mating practices. Because you've read the second book, right? Yes. Yeah, they kind of, I feel like they kind of explain it more. Well, regardless, but I just, I enjoy that universe. Um, And then I think intellectually, probably Sphere. Maybe Rendezvous with Rama. As far as things I think are more likely to happen, I think something along the lines of Sphere. I think we're going to find something that's probably alien, but we're not really going to comprehend its meaning or its message or how to use it properly. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're just going to kind of go down in history as an oddity. Um, Very possibly, yeah. <laughs> For thousands of years, it will have been our only contact, and we'll sort of lose interest in it. Also, I would agree with you that Rama is, like, very intellectually stimulating, and I am reading Rama 2 right now. Oh, let me know how you like it. I will. So far, weird. <laughs> I have often heard um, mixed mixed. Yeah, uh, CC. Sorry. Here, here's a little si- another sidebar, gang. Do you know what the weirdest part of it is? Rama two. Yeah. What? Like this isn't me giving away any way. They saw the second Rama coming, like, they okay. like they were looking for it and they just saw it. Like it's fine. Yes. Okay. Um, I thought you were saying that was the weirdest thing. I'm like, I don't see how. No, 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 no. That's that's yeah. That's just a thing. So and they have years to prepare because space is fucking big. Right. So it was weird because I'm currently like they're doing the expedition right now. Seeing them explore Rama prepared. <laughs> like, they're putting, like, basically an electric chair on the stairway of the gods. Like, shit like that. Like, it's all prepared. Like, they developed these, Why like... Why do they have an electric chair? Well, you can remember the stairway of the gods is, like, 30,000 steps? Oh, So they essentially Peter. put, like, a little Peter. thing. What? Peter. Electric chairs were used to execute people. <laughs> oh, no, I was thinking, like, um... Like one of those old folks things. Like old folks things, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. Didn't <laughs> think about that use of those words. <laughs> Cece, maybe I'm just, I have more hope, you know? I'm more... I guess more you're up- just more optimistic than I'm me. more optimistic than you, yes. Cool, cool, cool. You know, you know for when traitors <laughs> during the expedition. But anyway, it's yeah, like, they it's can't funny. just shoot them. Because they were totally ready. And like, they brought rovers and shit. And it's like, oh, you guys aren't totally winging what? this exploration? Damn. It wasn't just that one guy who stowed away his cool flying bike. I think it was a girl. That was a guy. Was it a guy? Yeah. Cosmo was a girl. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were all guys, except for that one doctor who was weirdly sexualized. Hey, you want to talk about Beth? Oh, uh, yeah. No, Beth's actually <laughs> a really interesting character. <laughs> she is a really interesting character. 
Um, did you know about the fan theory about mm, Beth? No. That she doesn't give up the power? I was literally about to bring up that theory. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think Beth gave up the power. Yeah. I, th- I didn't catch it the first time I read it, but yeah, that's apparently a pretty widespread fan theory. Because of the way at the end, they're like, oh, you know, Beth, you're, you're really looking beautiful. And she just is like, oh, thanks. And like smiles. And that's how the book ends. So that's not why I thought it. Mm-hmm. Why did you think it? I thought it because, because first of all, I could realistically see Beth being really pretty is something that got left over from Norman's power. Yeah, that's another explanation, too. Oh, like, do you think that it was Norman's power that made her beautiful? It was, wasn't it? No, because Norman didn't have the power when she started getting really beautiful. Are you sure? Yeah, she definitely, like, tried to have sex with him before he went into the sphere. Oh, interesting. She got, like, really seductive and attractive. I, mm, okay. I was pretty sure that was Norman doing it. No, he he didn't have the power yet. He basically got the power and then went into the submarine and tried to bounce. Hmm. Okay. But anyway, okay. Beth, power. Anyway, not power. my theory on Beth was that cuz I mean, I think I think there's an equal argument for that Beth and Adams uh and Harry kept the power. Why do you think Harry kept the power? Because I've heard Harry before too, but I don't see it. Harry and Beth I think kept the power for the same reason. Right, they're both very. They both have um, a lot of character flaws that stem from a severe insecurity. Yeah. Beth is convinced that she's constantly being traipsed over and dominated by male scientists, which I'm not going to say isn't a thing. Like there are plenty yeah. of studies that say that when women talk equally in conversation, men perceive it as a women-dominated conversation. So aggressive and masculine. Yeah. Um, both of which are terms used to describe Beth. Right. So, like, that might be that going on, although Michael Crichton tends to be vintage woke. Yeah, <laughs> this was very vintage woke. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of female characters that were, like, just chill and, like, doing their jobs, and Beth was yeah. just an outrageous, like... Yeah, the female Submariners were all ass-kicking. So that's why I think that while Crichton could be criticized for making this Beth character that's, like, the stereotype, like the man-viewed stereotype angry, of female scientists. Yeah, feminist. angry, something to prove. Yeah, like man- she's got a real chip on her shoulder, yeah. so she works out a lot, and it's gross. Yeah, and gross <laughs> muscle, muscles and all that. Muscles. Muscles. Um, <laughs> so I think his inclusion of these chill-ass characters, it might be him being like, no, 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 I'm making this as a character choice I'm not anti-woman, I just don't like that. I'm anti-Beth. <laughs> I'm anti-Beth. <laughs> <laughs> no, Beth is probably a really interesting character to write, to be fair. Yeah, and I mean... I, there is definitely, there's definitely comparisons drawn between her and Harry, because Harry's whole chip on his shoulder is that, like, he wasn't really respected as... Like, he wasn't respected by his peers as a kid, because he was not interested in, like, the things that his society, or, like, the, the kids around him were interested in. Yeah, he wasn't playing baseball, he was solving differential equations. Yeah, he was, he was basically a mega-nerd. And then when he went into academia, he felt like he still wasn't respected by his peers because he was a black man and they came from a different background and he was not, you know, the typical academic, you know, like Silver Spoon Princeton person. Yeah. So I think that the result is that they have very similar character flaws, right? Um, mm-hmm. Arrogant, almost aggressive in conversation. Um unwilling to concede a point like they're constantly butting heads oh my god yeah they're so annoying yeah they're really annoying the entire they're like children they are yeah 
And I, I so I think that there is an equal argument for them keeping that because Adams might go well. I could keep the power, and then like you know, if someone fucks with me or whatever, I could just I don't know hurt them or whatever. Yeah, or or I mean, obviously he has great faith in his intellect for you know obvious reasons. He's a very 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 intelligent man. Um, and maybe his feeling is like, well, now that I know, I can control it. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Beth just, I can see more like, just couldn't let it go, regardless of what the consequences might be. Because she finally has an advantage. Like, as far as she's concerned, she's been constantly at a disadvantage her entire life. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So she now has an advantage, an edge over the rest of her peers. Um, She can remake the world how she sees. Yep. And not necessarily in like a malicious, terrible way, but like in a just sort of subtle way, potentially. Yeah. At least the way um, she envisions it, no doubt. So what you're saying is Beth caused the sexual revolution. Yes. <laughs> that's that's my new fan theory. I think this happened after the sexual revolution. Did okay. the sexual revolution happen in the late 60s? Late 60s, early 70s, I think. Yeah, this book came when out the in... the book came out? This, oh, no, this book came out in 87, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was written... They started writing it when he was writing... There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, well, when did Andromeda Strain come out? You see, Andromeda Strain came out in 69. There you go. Um, <laughs> so anyway. anyway. So, theory accepted is what I'm saying. <laughs> Your lack of explicit denial is accepted as implicit consent to this. Consent was a poor yes. choice of words. Yeah, as you see, I don't think Beth would have appreciated that choice of words. Beth wouldn't have appreciated that use of consent. Um, <laughs> oh my god. That's anyway, terrible. that was a bad choice of words. What can I say? I, I sue me. They will, Cece. <laughs> oh, no, they will. But what did we... We just told you we can't afford lawyers. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, the... Uh, I just, like... I don't think there's much to say about them, but I did really enjoy the Navy personnel. Yeah, they were great. They were competent. They were, like, highly competent. They were efficient. quiet. They just did their jobs. They yeah. didn't get bogged down in all the bullshit on the civilian team. I smiled at the excessive use of sir because that was exactly my experience every time I've interacted with Navy personnel. Yep. <laughs> a lot of sir. K- correct. Sir, ma'am. Yeah, um, they always called me sir and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Marines call everyone sir, actually. That might be true. I don't know. If it's not true now, it was true. Or it might be true later. Do 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 do. Oh my god! Welcome to the early evening zone. Okay, wait. So, so I actually have a question about the ship. What's the deal? Like, obviously it was sent, but like, why was it unmanned or was it unmanned? But it was stocked with food. I'm very confused by it. Like, was this actually a test run? Because if it could fly unmanned, why did they ever need a crew? Well, first of all, who the hell would let that experience, like, there are enough advent, like, I don't think I would do it myself, but the adventuring spirit has never been bred out of mankind. That's true, no matter how many of those people have died. Yeah, we still haven't gotten them all, enough of them succeed and come back and have a bunch of kids to tell the story to, and they're all like, oh, hell yeah, and they go do it. There's enough scientists who wish they had the balls to do it to just prop up anyone who does. Yeah, that's true. So I think there is a, um... That there, there would be a real 
interest in joining an expedition like this. Now, we sure. agree that the corpse was uh, a manifestation, right? Yes. Totally. Beth being like, hey, look, there's a woman. Oh, damn. <laughs> so then she could do that whole, like, weird speech thing where she's like, yeah, she she was really competent, but nobody listened to her because they couldn't respect women, and um, so everyone died except her. God, I, I hate Beth. <laughs> Poor Beth. Beth needs a little help. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, and hopefully Beth gets it. Um. I hope Beth finds peace. Nope, Beth finds love. I hope Norman gets home to Ellen and the kids. Yeah. That's all I really want at the point, at this point. It's for Norman I hope Ellen forgives Ellen him. And the kids. I hope Ellen forgives him. And they can, um, enjoy a belated 4th of July barbecue. Yes. <laughs> Poor Norman. He's such a respectable guy. He just gives me like, I'm 53 years old. And by the way, I know some very robust 53-year-olds. Oh, please, I would... Like 60-something-year-olds who would totally handle this. I would send John on this. <laughs> I don't know that I would send John on this. I would... Okay, fine. But I would have sent John when he was 53 or however old Norman is. That's probably true. He's you guys like, John. He's the same age as Pup-Up. Like... <laughs> You you this is such a relevant podcast talk. I'm just saying, we have a neighbor who, this is so at niche. a very advanced name, age, is like climbing up to his roof to fix the gutters. <laughs> <laughs> like insane. <laughs> so, I can only imagine that 25 years ago he was like running marathons or something. Ultra marathons, probably. Yeah, he was a, he was a super marathon runner. Like I don't know. But he just kind of like walked. <laughs> I, yeah, well, so. I don't want to walk a marathon. <laughs> I'm 21. <laughs> oh, but God. I've been to Disney World. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> I can ride a marathon, you know, like a, like a, like a, a ride or something. <laughs> so you have to get off this merry-go-round. Nah, keep on going. But my calculations are 400 revolutions away. <laughs> I'm an athlete, so no big deal. Oh, my God. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. So you you are a subscriber that they did not, basically. That both of them I am a subscriber that Norman gave his up, even though if anyone was gonna, should have kept it, it's Norman. I know. He was so chill, and he, like, totally had control over it because he was a psychologist. Ooh, that, that reminds me. Do you have anything else to say about that before I move on? Um... No, no. Are we going to talk about psychology and how it's not so soft to science? Yeah, I really enjoyed that whole, like, conversation. I mean, it kind of happened a little bit a couple times. It happened slowly over several conversations. But the idea of psychology versus, like, quote-unquote hard sciences. And when he and Ted kind of went after each other. And he was basically like, psychology is way more testable than astrophysics, asshole. And I'm like, you're not wrong. No, I was totally, like, as a subscriber to astro, like, I like, think astrophysics is incredibly interesting. Psychology is more testable. It's way more testable. And, like, and you could argue relevant to life. Actually, it's not even hard to argue. It's, it is more relevant to life. <laughs> Listen, the world would be better if we all saw more psychologists. Like, <laughs> I know. I hope for the day that astrophysics is relevant to life, but it is not this day. Yeah, it is not this day, nor I don't think it's the next century. Probably like, not, unfortunately. As much but as that psychology has always been a part of life. And yeah. an important part of life. Before the word psychology was invented. 
Yes, absolutely true. And I say this as a person who has never never studied psychology, who's like never taken a particularly, you know, active interest in it. But I do I do totally respect Norman's point that it's like, hey, listen, like, it, it's way harder to study humans <laughs> and does these things than it is most of the shit y'all do, and it's also arguably way more important. Well, it brings us back to Dad's theory. <laughs> that astrophysics is made up. Yeah, all astrophysics is made up. I mean, it is literally made up, but is it is it is it accurate nonfiction made up, like, or is it just fiction? That's the question. I mean, I think Dad thinks it's just fiction. I, I think would he argue it's just that fiction. It's, it's guesses based on the principles of the universe. Yeah, it's basically all hypothesis and no testing. Yeah, whereas psychology is. Like, you know, 40% hypothesis and 60% testing. Actually, that's probably wrong. It's probably 10% hypothesis and 90% testing. Yeah, I feel like psychology more than any other science is one where you you let the observations guide yeah. everything else. Like, it, I mean, you, you Peter, I, I'm sure have heard the quote, which I'm going to butcher, but basically that far more great discoveries in science have been, you know precluded by huh that's interesting rather than eureka you know you always think of eureka moments yes. but it's really more like hmm weird look at that i mean a lot <laughs> I feel of, like there's a shit ton of those in psychology well yeah a lot of psychological discoveries um i guess if you want to call them that or insights have been like doing a study for something totally not related yeah and then they see a correlation between two like responses and they're like weird Let's and then explore they, this. Yeah, then let's explore this, and they have a follow-up study. I'm convinced that there was one study once, and all studies now are derivatives of that study. <laughs> and it's not even, like, one psych study. It's just one study. And I was like, wow, it's weird how those people reacted. And also, what color that is. Let's find out about that. Yeah, there was a guy that was sitting on a park bench in, like, 1650 and, <laughs> and saw two people have an interaction. He was like, huh, that's interesting. He saw the apple fall on Isaac Newton. And he screamed and ran away. Yeah. And somebody was like, hmm, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Weird. And he had agoraphobia. <laughs> or applephobia. I mean, I I'm going to bat way more for psychology than I ever have before, or ever expected to. But no, I totally was like Team Norman on that one. Like, I mean, not, yeah. that, not that I obviously have any disdain for astrophysics or biochemistry, obviously, or or... What were the other ones? Math, obviously. Freaking love math. Like, all of that is completely valid, important work. But that does not mean that psychology is not important work just because it's, like, less, quote-unquote, hard. Like, there's fewer rules that govern it. If anything, that makes it harder. No, absolutely. And, um... I mean, we went on... Uh, Hugh goes there, like we talked about. The, the, the... What was it? Squishy Sciences? Yeah, the Squishy Sciences. Yes. Yeah, so the, uh, I mean, this, that's, well, it has basically the same meaning as soft science. I, um, you know, I kind of like, all right, that's better at least, because it's not like just straight up saying, oh, soft. Yeah. And I mean, I do, I don't have a problem with the term social sciences. I think that's, you know, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't exist to diminish them. It just is a different way of being analytical. It's a different subject. Literally. That's true. And, you know, the, um, um, no crime in a, uh, 
I mean, I think the the social science. Oh, I think it's better than soft science. First of all, um, I kind of forgot that was a word, and I was really like, I was really grasping on that podcast, and I was that was bad. <laughs> um, but the the idea that like yeah, there there is a social, there is a science scientific method to how society works with itself, basically, and I think that's a really fair kind of point. And I think that a lot, I've heard a lot of people have beef with the part science on there. Like, they're like, oh, it's not a real science, and, like, they shouldn't be called a science. It should be, like, social studies or something. Those people need to chill. Yeah, I'm like, well, first of all, stop being mm-hmm. elitist. I realize you like your field, but it doesn't mean anyone else's field is less valid. Totally. There are invalid fields, and we should all focus our <laughs> efforts on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um but you know the, there is there is a very specific like climate science just kidding no. <laughs> um, uh god uh, there's definitely there are definitely more jokes and i'm not gonna make them <laughs> we're not going down that path. i'm gonna be bigger than you oh congratulations <laughs> oh what do you do i've always first? been the short one in the family you haven't accomplished anything <laughs> So uh, anyway, so yeah, long story short, we like psychology. We don't yeah. know about it, but we like it. We, we don't know jack about it. Maybe our sister will learn about it. Yeah, maybe she'll be the neuroscientist. We do need a psychologist in the family, to be fair. God knows. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, I meant um, just kind of like as a diversification of education. You meant it as like a treatment. <laughs> Peter, any yes. other uh, major points you want to bring up? Uh, we're no, getting, we're running actually. Long. I think we kind of uh, crushed the CC and kept it well within our time frame. Okay, well, let's uh, complete that by let's wrap it up. these in two and a half minutes. All right, so um, our next book is uh, we're going for we're keeping the theme along this summer, and we're going to go consuming fire. Parentheses works. Close parentheses. <laughs> consuming fireworks, guys. Consuming fireworks. No, it's consuming fire. It's the uh, follow up to that good good book. The Interdependency. No. The nope, Collapsing that's Empire. Wrong. Collapsing Empire. <laughs> it's the Interdependency series. Is it, even, is it even called that? I think it's, yeah, I think it's called The Books of the Interdependency. John Scalzi. Or something. But yeah, that good, good John Scalzi book that, that I That is John Scalzi, right? Now I'm doubting everything. Yes? Oh, God. Yeah, it's John Scalzi. Yeah, no, it's Consuming Fire, <laughs> colon, The Interdependency book, too. Okay, there we go. I knew it. Um, good, good job, Peter. You did it. I just read it too. God. Anyway, so yes, it's a follow-up to Collapsing Empire. Um, it is outstanding. I have just listened to it for the second time. It has all of the parts we loved about Consuming Fire and more and more and more and more. So, give that a, uh, a listen. Give that a read. However, for you your scorching July. Yes. Um, yeah. As you hide inside to avoid all of the hell outside, read a book or read about a pool or the ocean or whatever. Yeah, but if you just, like, sit outside and read it, you might be a psychopath. <laughs> or or severely dehydrated, so drink some damn water. Or, um, like, skinny, and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, you know, a healthy weight. <laughs> Gross. Ew. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Oh, uh, that was a, an attractive turn of conversation. Yeah, guys, so. that was that was satire, by the way. <laughs> Let's just be very clear about that I'm very that proud one. of All you. Right. So, anyway, that's coming out on July 1st. <laughs> Cece, how can they find us? 
<laughs> in New Jersey, apparently. I thought you meant because we can't let them find us. <laughs> Facebook.com slash side by sidebar, uh, where you can follow us for any updates, as well as uh, SigNothingNet on Twitter. We post when we're going to be late, so it's very important that you follow us there. Um, yes, yes, yes. Also, Facebook.com slash network for general network news. Uh, yeah, guys. So, um, I mean, that's it. Shit, we really crush it. Uh, we are continuing right. to get a, a weird influx of, um, of, of referral, uh, bunny. So. <laughs> on, on our hosting. So, basically, we can never stop because uh, we have, yeah. like, several years paid for it. Uh, 400, or, or yeah, 44 months. Fantastic. So. Keep That's where it, we're at. Keep potting. And guys, we are 20 downloads away from 3,000 listens since Jan- uh, since January. Yeah. So, thank That's you for helping us crush it. Also, guys, thanks for helping topple the forever war from our top most listened to podcast or episode. We've been baffled by that for a long time, so thank you, listeners. Cece, do you want to guess which one it is now? Uh, I believe it was Murderbot what, last time I checked. Guess what has crushed it? What? Interstellar. Oh, no shit, really? Interstellar, 231 downloads. Do you think people thought they were getting the movie? And they're like, free, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> no, someone's like, listen- said 231, that's pretty great. Yeah, someone's like, people have been listening to it like the last week. Awesome. A couple downloads last week, yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you, um, guys. Thanks for yes, having thank us grow. Um, if you haven't already, if you could rate and review us on iTunes and Cheers share us with your friends, friends etc., that would be I don't terrific. know, let's be honest, see, we're all listening on here. None of us have friends. Oh, that's... Stop attacking our listeners. I said us. It's attacking myself, too. <laughs> I'm just like, I hate me as much as the rest of you. <laughs> Listen, I hate you, but also I hate... I can't hate you more than I hate myself. <laughs> oh Bye! My God. This is a depressing ending. So you've been listening to Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by idiots. Insecure idiots, obviously. <laughs> Alright, guys, talk to you in July. Do not get the power of the sphere. <laughs> <laughs>